That's the opening movement of a piece called La Folia, written by Krzysztof Penderecki, the great Polish composer. He wrote that piece especially for the violinist that we heard performing it, Anne-Sophie Mutter. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bosted. Today's program is called Going Solo. I'm going to be featuring a little bit more of that piece and other pieces written especially by composers for particular performers to be played as solos. I got this idea after hearing this piece that's out on a relatively new disc, but also after reading in an interview where Anne-Sophie Mutter said, I feel honored by Christoph Penderecki's friendship and that I will play La Folia for the first time as he wrote it for me. Please believe me that nothing will replace the moment when I pick up the notes to a new song written by such an eminent composer, and I know that no one else has seen them before me. It really got me thinking about what a magical thing this is when a composer writes, especially for a performer. And I think also that when the piece is a solo piece and the performer is going to be up there alone, then it really is such an intimate relationship between the composer and the performer, and then eventually the performer and the audience. So I thought we'd feature a lot of solos that have been written for different performers. We'll, of course, play a little bit more of the La Folia piece written for Anne-Sophie Mutter. But I thought it might be nice to have three esteemed guests join us here in the Levin studio at WFMT to talk about pieces that have been written expressly for them and then to play parts of or all of them and demonstrate the piece here live in the studio too. So in just a little bit, I'll be joined by Tim Monroe, Michael Hall, and Jan Maxson. Let's return now to this piece, La Folia. It is written as a theme and variations. I opened the program with the theme. Let's now have a few of the variations. Again, this is by Christoph Penderecki, and it was written expressly for the great violinist and Sophie Mutter to play as a solo. Thank you. 
Music for Solo Violin by Christoph Penderecki, performed by Anne-Sophie Mutter. That's a piece that was written especially for her. This is Going Solo today on Relevant Tones. I'm going to be featuring a lot of pieces written especially for a performer, and we're going to be kind of shining a spotlight on this interesting relationship between composer and performer. It's one thing when a composer has an inspiration to write a piece, and he goes and writes it and then looks for someone to play it. I think it's quite another when the composer has a particular performer in mind and can play up that performer's strengths and the things that he or she likes to do. Well, as I said, I'm going to have some esteemed guests on the program today, and my first of these guests is flutist Tim Monroe. Tim, tell me about the piece that Amy Beth Kirsten wrote for you. Well, I've known Amy since 2010, when she came to a summer festival that me and my ensemble were running in Switzerland, and she and I worked together on a new piece of hers, which was a piece that required all of the instrumentalists to sing. And I remember working with her on the deep emotional content of every note and every bar and I was quite taken with how vulnerable emotionally vulnerable and honest and intense um, her connection to her own music was and I was very taken with that and I think we had a connection a musical connection and felt like something like kindred spirits so pretty much right away I told her I would love a solo flute piece from her and I think that Amy had really started to understand all of the various facets of me as a musician 
And so in this piece, she and I worked quite closely on trying to make a piece that was just me, 100% me. And so that involved singing, it involved speaking, it involved playing the flute in all sorts of strange extended technique things. But more than anything else, she really wanted to capture a character. And in this piece, which she called Pirouette on a Moon Sliver, she wanted to capture the character of Harlequin. Harlequin from the Italian Commedia dell'arte tradition. Harlequin who is a trickster, who's devilish. But Harlequin who is lovable, but he has this real dark side. And so she wanted to make this piece a portrait of this dark, strange character of Harlequin. And she used that by threading throughout the piece a text that is always intelligible, always audible in the piece which is all about Harlequin sort of fighting with himself about his own character and his own existence. So it's kind of a, a mad scene in some ways. Like Harlequin is dark, devilish character, but he's also desperately in love with Columbine, this um, other commedia character. So he's desperately in love, but he just like doesn't know how to express himself. He doesn't know how to, to um, deal with his love for Columbine. And so he's sort of completely off his head. Just some moments he's full of hilarity trying to sort of show the world how amused and fine he is. And at other times he's like screaming out. And at other moments he's very calm. And at other moments he's just unable to get out his feelings of love. Um, so there's this interesting sort of trajectory through the piece where he's just fighting with himself until the very end, which is the only part of the piece where I play the, just play the flute in the sort of quote-unquote conventional style. So I have this chaotic journey, and then at the very end, there's almost this sense that the resolution is to give in and just embrace the flute, embrace this particularly conventional side. And I don't know whether that's a happy ending or a sad ending or a... That's a wonderful thing about music, is you just never know. Let's have a listen to this recording from the album 123 on Parlor Tapes. This is Tim Monroe performing Pirouette on a Moon Sliver by Amy Beth Kirsten.
That's a remarkable performance, Tim. <laughs> Thanks. For our listeners who are just tuning in, I'm talking with Tim Monroe, flutist. The theme of the show is Going Solo. 
And we just heard, really, an incredible performance of a piece by Amy Beth Kirsten called Pirouette on a Moon Sliver. Tell me about some of the things that we're hearing here. There are places where you're clearly singing and playing at the same time. How is that possible? So singing and playing on the flute simultaneously is something that composers have been using for about the last 40 or 50 years. It requires a different way of actually producing the flute sound in order that you can sing while playing you actually have to produce a sound that has more airiness to it that is less sort of focused so that you can I don't know that I don't know anything about the physics of such things but somehow in order to allow the voice to come in you have to have this kind of area flute sound which gives the whole thing together the flute and the singing and the flute playing together this this like quite mysterious halo like sound that I think Amy uses very effectively. She also has me alternate singing and playing one after the other very quickly, which is something that is that took me a long time to get comfortable doing. So I would I would play a flute note and then she would have me end it with the sound of a spoken consonant. And then in other situations she would have me sing something and then I would end it with a consonant and then immediately start playing the flute. That's actually, I think, even more challenging is to go from flute embouchure to speaking embouchure. Like, so, so your mouth has to be able to move into the flute mouth, as it were, very quickly. And that took a lot of practice. I think actually that of all the things in this piece, being able to juggle like speaking singing, playing, then speaking, then playing, then singing, then is, it was, was probably the most challenging. Can you demonstrate some of these effects that are in the piece? Yeah, I thought I would um, demonstrate alternating between speaking and singing. So the first thing you'll hear me do is just the speaking part without any playing at all. And then I'm going to pl- do just the, the flute playing part, and then I'm going to demonstrate the two combined, the two layers together at the same time. That's great. What? You'd see. What? You'd see. That's great. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I think it helps the listeners a lot to know that those sounds we're hearing on the recording, that they are actually being produced by one person, because that's a really, you know, not everybody knows that that's a capability that a flutist has. Yeah, it's one of the things that for me is most exciting as a performer is to expand the range of possibilities open to a flute player. We as flute players within the sort of quote unquote conventional way of playing the flute have a lot at our disposal. But to be able to add speech and song and all these different colors that you can get through extended techniques 
it doesn't make the music weirder. It makes there be just a hugely much greater dramatic and theatrical potential. And for me, that's like very exciting is being able to do all of those things to be able to tell a more compelling story to an audience. Tim, thanks so much for being on the program. It was such a pleasure, Seth. Thanks. You're listening to Relevant Tones, a show featuring the music of contemporary composers. Today's program is called Going Solo. I'm featuring a lot of different soloists who have had pieces written especially for them, and I feel so lucky to have several of these soloists here in the studio today to demonstrate and play these pieces live. For streaming versions of this and all previous episodes, you can go to relevanttones.com. Subject of today's show is going solo. I'm talking to a lot of different performers about pieces that have been written for them by composers. And again, for me, I just think it's a very intimate relationship when a composer is writing for a specific performer. My next guest is Michael Hall, violist. Michael, thanks so much for coming down to the show today. It's a pleasure to be here. How many pieces have been written for you at this point, do you think? Uh, 37. That's quite a few. <laughs> it's, it's a nice handful, and it's absolutely an honor to have uh, such kind of connections with creative people in this world. How do you think a composer thinks about the solo viola? It's not exactly an instrument that uh, they would write for on their own. Do most of them hear you play, and they think, I want to write a piece for him? Or how do you think this comes about, usually? In pretty much every case, all the pieces were written uh, for me after they've heard me play at a festival, at a concert, coming to a recital. And in the rare occasion, somebody will point a composer in my direction, and it'll be a fellow composer because they'll think we have a kindred spirit. But for the viola itself, I think more and more composers, as time has gone by, are turning back towards the viola. It was a very uh, widely used instrument during the Baroque period. As history went through, the violin, of course, became more dominant. But I think that the kind of gritty adds to the sound, that fallible quality about the sound as well, speaking more to our time. The first piece that you're planning to play for us is by Narong Prongcharan. Tell me about this piece. This piece has um, an origin going back to 2010. Uh, and Narong is from Thailand. And his heart, just like the rest of the Thai people, are very open. And he felt deeply hurt by what was happening in, with this country, politically, with the, the fighting back and forth between the parties. And this piece is titled Antakarana. And Antakarana is an ancient symbol for healing. And in many ways, this piece he wrote as a musical healing for his country. Let's have a listen to you perform the piece, and then we'll talk a little bit more about it.
That was violist Michael Hall performing Antakarana by Thai composer Narong Prongcharan. Michael, let's talk about this piece a little bit. There's a lot going on. I think even from the opening notes, most of our listeners would know or suspect that this is by a composer from the Eastern Hemisphere. There's that wonderful bent tone quality that we associate with the East. Do you have that same impression upon playing the piece? Oh, very much. And after visiting Thailand several times, you can just feel that it is a traditional song without actually quoting a song. It's in the style of a Thai song without quoting. So that's how Narong is drawing from his cultural background. But of course, he wrote the piece for you and you were performing at his festival, which is how I assume he, he heard you play. What are the personal hallmarks of the piece, things that, that uh, he put in that he knew you were particularly good at or particularly interested in? He knows I love drama. He knows that I like pieces that are sincere. That doesn't mean they all have to be dark. This is a dark piece, and many times composers bring their troubles to, to the viola repertoire. But um, this is one that just speaks very clearly from the heart, and I have no trouble getting into the character and trying to be as convincing with it as possible. Let's talk about the next piece that you're going to perform, the Syrian Requiem. Yes, this is written for me by Brazilian composer Antonio Kelso Ribeiro, a wonderful gentleman. And, uh, you know, it's a small world, and you have no idea where your next uh, collaboration is going to be coming from as an artist. And uh, we actually met in Thailand as well. He's uh, very interested in getting to a folk-like quality. And the piece that we're playing, Syrian Requiem, like Antakarana, has very strong connections to current political and human issues uh, happening around the world. Particularly, I assume, in Syria? Uh, absolutely. This is a requiem for the children of the Syrian conflict, actually. So the first movement is titled Al-Makbar, which means call to prayer. And the second part that I'm going to be playing is titled Under the Rubble Lies an Old Rag Doll. Let's have a listen to this piece for solo viola, Syrian Requiem. 
by Antonio Kelso Ribeiro, performed by Michael Hall.
two movements of a piece called Syrian Requiem by Brazilian composer Antonio Kelso Ribeiro. We heard Almakbar, and then Under the Rubble Lies an Old Rag Doll. Those are performed live here in the Levin Studio at WFMT by violist Michael Hall. And in fact, the piece has been written for Michael. Michael is my guest today on the program, Going Solo. We're talking to different soloists about pieces that have been written for them and this very intimate relationship that exists between the composer and the soloist. Michael, when this piece was being written for you, was was he going back and forth with you at all, showing you any sketches, any drafts, or did he just give you a, a finished work? Most of the time when I work with a composer, there is a back and forth. And I try not to get in their way uh, otherwise, I'd be composing a piece by myself. You know, I, I want their voice. I want their ideas. So there was some back and forth with sketches and things, but the full magnitude, the emotional depth, the physical and emotional challenges that were going to be presented to me as a full package, I didn't see any of that until the complete work was handed to me. And um, yeah, it took a while to absorb this. What do you think, just uh, speaking musically, the Al-Makbar, he has a designation in the score to play like an out-of-tune fiddle. Now, is this trying to summon up a kind of uh, what we would think of as Arabian microtonal sound? Is, is it, uh, you know, what do you think he's conjuring up there musically by that designation? You fit it right on the head. He wants that sound that's as much as a Westerner growing up in Chicago can try to assimilate and, and emulate, rather, the sound of a Middle Eastern instrument. Um, his direct instructions are to be played like a fiddle in a folk tune style with few or no vibrato and play sometimes a little bit out of tune for purpose of color and folk-like quality. Well, Michael, thank you so much. Uh, you've had so many pieces written for you. I know that if we touch base again in three more years or, or even less, <laughs> you'll have had so many more pieces written for you. So thanks so much for being on Going Solo today. Thank you very much. This has been a pleasure. The theme of today's show, again, is going solo. I'm talking to a variety of different soloists about pieces that have been written for them. And my next guest is Jan Maxson. Jan, tell me about the, uh, well, there's so many things we're going to talk about here, but tell me about the piece that Paul Jan Lee wrote for you. Sure thing. Um, thanks um, for having me back in the studio, first of all. And um, Paul Jan Lee, I met him a few years ago, probably five or six years ago, when I premiered a- another piece of his in Chicago as a piece for solo cello, a short piece for solo cello and orchestra. And um, I really fell in love with that piece right away. Uh, felt to me like uh, Paul, even though it was a rather simple melody, through it he managed to bring out the really the essence of, of the cello. And um, I told him right away, I said, it'd be great if you would write more music for cello, whether it's solo or other instruments, and we sort of left it at that. And then we sort of stayed in touch with Paul sporadically throughout the years. And um, it was probably about a year and a half ago when I um, started looking to compile works for solo cello for my latest album, uh, Soul Companion, that I um, addressed Paul again and uh, asked him if he would be interested to write a piece for solo cello, and he said right away yes. So that was sort of, that was a start. Then just a few weeks later, I already had a rough draft, rough PDF um, draft of the piece, and then the process began from there, and it was actually a rather lengthy process, a very... um, there was a lot of work put into it. Uh, since it was sort of a long-distance relationship, we had to do everything over the computer. So I 
you know, started recording rough drafts of the piece and send them back to Paul in New York. And um, he was very particular about how he wanted for the piece to go in great minute detail, literally every measure. He, he would send me lists with uh, probably 30 to 40 different notes on every take. And the, the list would get shorter and shorter every time. And, um, you know, one day came when he actually wrote back and he said, I'm actually quite happy with the way the piece um, goes. And uh, first I premiered it live at City Winery in Chicago in last April. And then I recorded um, the piece in May of the same year. And uh, the CD was out um, last September. Now you say that he writes very well for the cello, which is... Great. Uh, tell me about how he's writing now, because writing a solo piece is a little more intimate than writing a piece for cello and orchestra. So tell me about how he, you think he may have tailored the piece for your own strengths as a soloist. Well, that's actually that's a very good question, because a lot of times um, composers that don't play that particular instrument, they're sort of guessing a lot of times on uh, what would work well and what might not work so well as opposed to people that write for their own instruments but Paul definitely has a really great intuition and great feel for the cello using the registers using little idiosyncrasies using pizzicato using different effects just has a really good feel a natural feel for it let's have you play the piece and then um, perhaps we can demonstrate some specific portions of the piece sounds good so here is Jan Maxson to perform Lost in the Echo by Paul Yon Lee.
That's cellist Jan Maxson performing Lost in the Echo by composer Paul Jan Lee. Here on our program today, Going Solo, I'm featuring performers who certainly play in ensembles, but here are in a soloistic capacity. And not only that, but they're playing pieces that have been written expressly for them by a composer, which I think is a very intimate relationship when you're writing for a person you know specifically who you're writing for. So Jan, if you wouldn't mind, there's a lot of different things going on in that piece that maybe our listeners aren't uh, sure of or, or know how you're doing it. For example, the pizzicatos. You're doing some left-hand pizzas while you're playing. Talk about that just a little bit. Well, that's actually one of my favorite little tricks. I use it quite a bit in the music I write, and uh, I've encouraged other composers to do it. Paul, actually, I didn't have to bring it up to him. He, he kind of, uh, he already, uh, I guess he knew about it, and he used it uh, quite widely, and uh, it works really well. Any kind of shortcut you can take on the cello that uh, helps you um, create a sense of polyphony or a sense of more than one thing, going on at the same time. That's one of the challenges with uh, string instruments is that 
you're kind of stuck with just playing on one string or maybe double stops, but you're quite limited as far as possibilities of two independent lines or more than one independent lines are concerned. So that's always a challenge. And left-hand pits is one of the things that's mm -hmm. quite helpful. Can you just show me this play? It, it, it can be from that piece or, or anything, but just kind of uh, bowing and, and pitting at the same time. Right. So from another piece. So for our listeners, what Jan is doing there is he's stopping the strings with his left hand with uh, the pointer finger, but then he's got other fingers that he can use. And using the bow at the same time. Right, so exactly. So it's almost like accompanying yourself, uh, uh, like a second instrument accompanying you. So. Absolutely. And then in Paul's piece, there's also some interesting colors that he's getting out of the instrument um, using different bow techniques or harmonics. Talk about that a little bit if you right. want. Right. There's actually one spot that I definitely want to mention is um, the latter uh, part of the piece. Um, he writes down specifically in the music, um, says, like falling leaves. And uh, I remember going uh, through it with him several times before he was actually happy about it that until it sounded exactly like, like the leaves falling. So it's actually a combination of um, harmonics and uh, ponticello, which um, are two different techniques, but combined together they create yet another different sonority. And uh, also he writes rubato means out of tempo there's really no beat and you sort of it has to change almost change direction get slower faster just like the leaf and you also mentioned sul ponticello can you just tell our listeners what that is yeah ponticello is the italian word for the bridge and um the closer you play to the bridge the more metallic the sound gets so here's an, uh, like normal tone and then you get close to the bridge and then again I especially love playing near the bridge because, you know, I love rock and roll. And uh, to me, I, I can replicate the, um, the guitar distor distor uh, distort sound with, uh, with it. So you can, you know, play it. That's Ponticello, that's playing close to the bridge. And then in a very different context, for example, in Paul's piece, Paul's piece yeah. it's going to sound now like uh, the, these leaves falling. Yeah. Can you just demonstrate that part of the piece? That's fantastic. Jan, thank you so much for being on Going Solo today. Thank you, Seth. What's our program today? Going Solo. 
This is a very interesting topic to me because, you know, I don't know how many composers actually set out to write a solo flute piece or a solo viola piece. Of course, there are limitations when you're writing for a solo instrument, as we talked about a little bit today on the program. But what I really think is interesting is I think that the composers are actually writing for the individual soloist. Amy Beth Kirsten wrote a flute piece, sure, but she really wrote a piece for Tim Monroe that's so clear. Narang Prangcharan wrote a solo viola piece, but he really wrote a piece for Michael Hall. And that personal connection and the myriad forms that it can take is really at the heart of the creativity and the wonderful relationship between the composer and the performer when the composer chooses to write a solo piece. Relevant Tones is produced by Jesse McCorders. Our live sound engineer was Joshua Savageau. For more information about the program and the artists we've featured, and for streaming versions of all previous episodes, you can visit us at relevanttones.com. Relevant Tones is made possible in part by the generous support of GCM Grovner, the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, the Amphion Foundation, and the listener supporters of the WFMT Fine Arts Circle. This project is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts, Art Works. I'm Seth Bosted, and this is the WFMT Radio Network. <laughs>